Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. The Apostle Paul, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the Apostle Paul here is saying, Look at the mindset, look at the attitude, the behavior, the teachings of Jesus, and do what he did. Now in Matthew chapter 11, I've chosen this passage of Scripture because it highlights three things that are very important that I want to highlight also in this message, and that is, uh, in this passage, Jesus obviously was in tune with God the Father. He was in tune with his purpose for being on earth, and he was in tune with people, especially those who felt left out. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If ever there was a single person whose life was such that it was worthy of being emulated, whose actions were such that they were worthy of being imitated, and whose teachings were such that they uh, demand that we follow them, it would have been the life of Jesus Christ. He is the model by which we all are to Uh, fashion our lives. And so this this series is a four-part series. This is the second of the four parts. It's a series entitled Christ Life, Living the Life Christ Meant for Us to Live. Now, living the Christ life means following the life and teachings of Jesus, following the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, as we see them in, in the Gospels especially, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And last week, as we began to study the traits of Jesus' life, the first thing that we noticed was that the foundational trait for living the Christ life was humility. Everything Jesus did flowed out from 
his humility. And what makes his humility amazing is the fact that he was justified in not being humble. Uh, He was God in flesh. He's the Savior of the universe. He's the Lord of all creation. He's the King of kings. He is the one person and the only person whose life was totally without blemish and full of perfection. And yet, this Jesus refused to latch on to what he rightfully could have latched on to in his humility. This Jesus refused to accept credit when he, he rightfully was due the credit, but he refused to take credit for the things that he'd done. Even so much as saying, hey, the words that I'm telling you, they're not my words, they're my heavenly Father's words. Uh, I'm not here to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father. Uh, I have no authority, but my heavenly Father is the one who's given me the authority to be here. He kept deflecting the attention in his humility. And in his humility, he always preferred other people before himself. This is an amazing uh, thing to think about considering the fact that Jesus was God. So the foundational trait of living the Christ life is humility. Tonight, today, I want, to, want us to look at another trait of living the Christ life, and that is simply this, that Jesus was in tune with what was most important. I'm talking about every moment of every day, Jesus was able to identify what was most important, and, and the important stuff are the things that he spent his time accomplishing. And therefore, if Jesus was in tune with what was important— then in order for us to live the Christ life, to live the life Jesus meant for us to live, not only do we need to be people who are people of humility, but we need to be people who uh, are aware of what is most important, and we spend our time, at least much of our time, doing those things that are important and not being sidetracked by things that are of lesser importance. It's so easy after all, isn't it? to get caught up in situations where we are forever responding to things which do not seem urgent. We rush from one emergency to another only to find that those emergencies weren't very emergency at all. And as a result, the most important decisions and actions that we ought to take take a backseat to things of lesser importance. We waste so much of our time. Now, in Jesus' life, in order to prevent this, Jesus focused on the things that were most important, and those are the things that he got done first. Those are the things that he focused the majority of his attention on. And so if you and I want to prevent the distractions that are of lesser importance, then the first thing we must do, like Jesus, is to identify those things which are important and focus on those things which are most important. And when we do, we can quickly decide what we need to focus on what we need to delegate, what we need to defer to someone else, and what we maybe need to totally ignore altogether. And so, if we want to focus on what is important, then we need to determine what is indeed important. And that requires us thinking proactively, thinking into the future. So I want to ask you this question. What do you want to be remembered for? When you are living your last day on earth, for what would you like to be remembered? 
If you were to die right now, what would people remember your life for? Do you want to be remembered for the amount of time you spent at work? Do you want to be remembered for the size of your bank balance or your CD balance or your mutual fund balance? Do you want to be remembered for the brand of car that you drove? Or the size of your house? Or the number of emails in your inbox? Or would you like to be remembered for the number of friends that you had on Facebook, including those friends that you have no idea who they are, but somehow they're your Facebook friends? What do you want to be remembered for? You see, what, is, what happens so often in life is, is we tend to, because we don't have a plan, we'll, we'll, we'll enter our day and, and whatever just happens to pop up as an apparent emergency, we spend our time doing those things. Phone calls that really waste time or, or watch, reading emails that have no need to be read or, or spending time doing things that are unimportant. Stephen Covey wrote a book several years ago entitled First Things First. And he uh, divided the things that, that we do into four quadrants. He said, first of all, there are those things that are important and urgent. And if something is both important and urgent, it needs to be done now. Now, the, the key, however, is to discern what is urgent as well as important. A lot of times, we place an urgent, important tag on things that are neither urgent or important. Or they may be urgent but not important, or important but not urgent. But if something is, is both urgent and important, do it now. And then there are those things that are important. They're going to need to be done at some point, but they're not urgent. They don't have to be done today. They don't have to be done now. And Stephen Covey says on those, plan them to be done at a later time. At some point, they will become both urgent and important. But as, as right now, they're, they're important but not urgent. Plan to do them later. Then he says there are those things that are urgent, but they're not important. They may present themselves as something that needs to be done right now, but in reality, they're not important, and therefore you can delay them, or you can delegate them, or you can automate them, but you don't have to do them now. Don't let things that are not important take the place of those that are most important. Jesus didn't do that, and neither should we. And then Covey said there's a fourth quadrant of things that are neither urgent nor important, and the best thing to do with those is to drop them. Don't do them at all. But these are the things that, that tend to waste our time. It's amazing how further up the ladder of priorities these unimportant and unurgent things become on a day-to-day -day basis when we refuse to identify what is important and do just that, that is important. Jesus Christ was in tune with what was important. He prioritized every single day that he lived. He prioritized. He never wasted a moment. And if we want to live a life that is like his, we must identify what's important so that we waste not a single moment of our lives. Time is too precious. Your time is limited. Anything that is limited becomes precious. And if it's precious, then we ought to make sure that we make the best use of everything, every moment that we live. Jesus 
recognized what was most important. He was in tune with what was most important. Now, let me identify for us three things that were important for him, most important. Because I think these three things uh, need to be most important for me, and I would assume they need to be most important for you as well. First of all, Jesus considered it important to be in tune with his heavenly Father. For Jesus, it was important to be in tune with his heavenly Father. He demonstrated an intimacy with God the Father by seeking him out continually in prayer. In in the four Gospels, there are 45 places where the gospel writers describe Jesus as being in prayer, either alone or with a small group of people. Now, when we talk about Jesus in prayer, we're not talking about him just running through some memorized prayer that was meaningless. We're talking about him having intimate conversations with God the Father 45 times in the four Gospels. So Jesus was very much in tune with his heavenly Father. How in tune are you with God? In Luke chapter 11, Luke says in verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. But they they came at Jesus with this request upon seeing him pray. I've always thought it was remarkable that of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them to do, they asked him to teach them to pray. Don't teach us to raise the dead. Don't teach us to exercise demons. Don't teach us to heal diseases. Just teach us to pray. We see so many things happen as a result of you praying, so teach us to pray. Luke's gospel has Jesus praying at every juncture. When Jesus is being baptized, Luke says that he was praying. When Jesus was carried out in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and tempted 40 days by Satan in Luke chapter 4, Luke says Jesus was praying. The the night before Jesus chose his 12 disciples who would be his apostles, Luke says he prayed all night long. When Jesus went up on the mountain of transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and there they saw uh, Moses and Elijah was a, 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 a situation that happened only once where Jesus was, was shining. He was electrified from the inside out. And at that uh, once in a universe of time moment, Luke says Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying on the night before he was crucified so much that Luke says that his, his sweat began to drop as if it were great drops of blood. Luke says that Jesus prayed on the cross. So every time you turn around, Jesus is praying, which, which is indicative of his close relationship with God the Father. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. This is a verse that, that implies that Jesus is very much in tune with God the Father. John chapter 5, verse 30. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Again, Jesus has to be very much in tune with God the Father. And then John chapter 10, verse 30, an incredible statement that Jesus makes. He says, I and the Father are one. He was so in tune with his heavenly Father that they were one, and they were one not only in in both of them being persons of the Godhead, but they were one in the fact that Jesus was in tune with him. He was vitally connected with God. And so I ask all of us again, where are you in your relationship with God? 
Are you in tune with God? Do you feel close to God? Jesus focused on what was important, and the first thing that was important with him was being in tune with God the Father. Second, Jesus was in tune with his purpose for being on earth. He knew that God had sent him to the earth, and that God had sent him to the earth for the express purpose of dying on a cross for the sins of the whole world, and then being raised again. Jesus knew his purpose. In John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I am, I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. And if God sent him, he knows that God sent him with a purpose. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 21, we have the first of three predictions by Jesus to his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem, he would be tried there, he'd be executed, and he would be raised again on the third day. Three different predictions, beginning with Matthew 16 verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is Jesus talking. He's very much in tune with why he's here. Matthew chapter 17, the next chapter over, verse 22. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. On the third day, he will be raised to life, and the disciples were filled with grief. Again, Jesus is clear. There is absolute clarity on what his purpose is. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, for the third time, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised to life. Is there any question that Jesus was in tune with what his purpose was? Luke's Gospel is not better than any gospel, but it is my favorite gospel. If you study Luke's gospel, the first uh, nine chapters, the most, most of the majority of the first nine chapters, Jesus is in Galilee in northern Palestine. But there is something that changes beginning with chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And here's where the change comes. Luke says, at as the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It is, a, it is the major turning point in, in the gospel narrative of Luke. And Luke says to us that from that point on, if you read the story from, from chapter 9, verse 51, all the way through chapter uh, 24, he says, he says, now as they were on the way, as they were on the road, as they were making their journey, as they were uh, on, traveling toward Jerusalem, from that point on, they are resolutely going to Jerusalem, not because the disciples had a clue of what they were doing, but because Jesus was in tune with God's purpose for his life. And nothing was going to change him from accomplishing that purpose. So let me pause here and ask you, how is your relationship with God? Are you in tune with God? Do you feel close to God? And second, do you have a clue as to why God has placed you here? Do you know what God's purpose for you is? And where are you on that journey of accomplishing 
that purpose. Jesus focused upon what was important, his relationship with God in, in, in directing himself according to God's purpose for him. And then third, Jesus was in tune with people, especially the outcasts. Jesus poured himself into people. He loved people. He loved being with people. He loved making new friends. And, and he, would, he would especially, he loved all people, but when he began to select those who would be around him, those with whom he would spend the bulk of his time, he chose people that nobody else would have chosen. Who would have chosen Simon Peter? Nobody. Who would have chosen Judas of all people? Nobody, especially knowing what he would do. But even though Jesus knew what Judas would do, he chose him. Jesus wanted to be around people that nobody else wanted to be around because he saw value in those people. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 29, there's a story as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho. A large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the roadside. Why, did those two, why were those two blind men seated there by, uh, by each other? I'll tell you why, because nobody else wanted to be around them. Everybody thought they were cursed. Everybody thought there was some sin they had committed that resulted in them being blind. They were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them. Why did they rebuke them? They didn't care about them. And they told them to be quiet. But what happens whenever you tell some stubborn folks to be quiet? They will speak or bust. That's what will happen. And so they shouted all the louder. These are future Baptists. They shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight. In Luke chapter 15, my favorite chapter in the Bible, Luke 15 opens up this way. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Why, why was that happening? They didn't gather around to hear most people because they knew most people didn't like them and didn't want them around. But they gathered around to hear Jesus. Why? Because he had opened himself to them. He had showed that he loved them. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In another place, the Pharisees said, this man is a friend of sinners. They thought it was a derogatory comment. Listen, it was one of the best compliments they could have ever given him. Jesus loved people, especially the outcast. John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples are up in Galilee, and they decide to start making that trek toward Jerusalem for that final tragic week. Normally, Jews traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem would skip over the middle part of the country because that was Samaria. That's where the Samaritans live, who were half Jewish, half Gentile. Nobody liked the Samaritans if you were Jewish. And so normally you'd go across over into modern-day Jordan, go southward, and then skip back over the Jordan into Jerusalem, basically going around your elbow to get to your, your thumb. And but on this occasion, Jesus said, no, guys, we need to go through Samaria. I need to go through Samaria. And so instead of going the, the uh, roundabout way that normally Jews would have gone, they go straight through Samaria. And when they get to the place in Samaria that was where Jacob's well was built and dug, 
Jesus sent the disciples onto the supermarket and he sat down by the well. It was noon. It was in the middle of the day. And you know this story. In John chapter 4, there was this woman who comes down to draw water from the well. Now, this is interesting because uh, normally, and, and normally it was the women who came to the well to get water, but they would do it early in the morning or they would do it late in the evening when it was cooler. Never did they go during the middle of the day, except for this particular woman. This woman came because she knew that normally nobody is there because she did not like being around people because she was an outcast. Number one, she was a Samaritan, which meant that anybody who wasn't a Samaritan didn't like her just because of who she was, what she was. But on top of that, she had been married and divorced five times At this point, she was living with a man without being married to him. Listen, everybody in the community is talking about this woman. Everybody is gossiping and snarling at this woman. If anybody says anything to her that sounds remotely friendly, there's some sort of stab in the back of that friendliness. And so instead of being out whenever most people are out, she goes alone. And when she gets to the well, she is not expecting anybody to be there when all of a sudden Jesus looks around the well and he says, hey, would you give me some water? (laughs) This was amazing because Jews didn't speak with with Samaritans and men didn't normally speak with women. They didn't know. And so it was just totally unorthodox. So why would Jesus do it? I'll tell you why he would do it because he loved people and he especially loved outcasts. He ends up saving this woman, and she leaves and tells her, all the people in her hometown about Jesus, and and they all come, and they get saved, and Jesus was in tune with people, especially the outcasts. You see, one of the most important things we can do to make our lives better than it is, than they are, is to decide on what is important. That's what Jesus did. He, he identified what was important every day. That's what he focused on. And among the things that were most important to Jesus were his relationship with his heavenly father, were his purpose in life that God had sent him here to accomplish, and the fact that he loved people, especially outcasts. Those three things were most important for him, and they drove his agenda. That plus humility. Today's Palm Sunday It's the day when Christians commemorate Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem. He came on a donkey, of all things. And there there wasn't a saddle. The disciples didn't have a saddle to put on the donkey for him to ride on, so they put their coats on top of the donkey's back for Jesus to sit on. People didn't have a red carpet like would be appropriate for a king or the Lord of Lords or the Savior of the world. And so they, they, they took their coats and they put them out in the, in the road. And if they didn't have a coat, they, they took down a branch of a palm tree and they strode them in the way, making a makeshift red carpet. On the other side of town, there's another parade. This parade is full of pomp and circumstance because Pontius Pilate has traveled from his main home, his main headquarters in Caesarea Philippi into Jerusalem as he always did for these Jerusalem festivals. Rome wanted to show their power to these Jews, and so he comes in a parade on the opposite side of Jerusalem. He's in a chariot, probably laced with gold, pulled by these massive horses. His soldiers, who are uh, accompanying him, they're in full battle armor. 
polished armor. They're on horses the size of Clydesdales, and they are coming in their very presence, their very appearance speaks of enormous power. What great contrast it is that on the other side of Jerusalem, Jesus comes in not on a chariot, not with any gold, not with any royal accompaniment, but instead he comes in on a donkey. What does that tell us? It tells us how humble Jesus was. Humility and being in tune with what is important. You want to live the life Jesus meant for you to live? Tackle those two things and you'll be well on on your way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You have given us the example. You have laid out the path. So many of us struggle to live. In, in what, we are, what we are after, this pursuit of happiness, so many of us are left empty at the end of a day. And mainly it's because we have spent way too much time on things of lesser significance. God, I pray that you would help us to value humility truly and help us to properly identify what's important and spend our time accomplishing great things. And we'll be well on our way to the Christ life. In Jesus' name, amen.